Yeah, I just saw you called me. I was in the, I was indisposed at the moment. What's up? <laughs> so, uh, guess what I got today? What'd you get today, Weeby? <laughs> I got a second letter from Chad Fultz. body continued today. This is the third effort for the national crew led by a North Carolina missing persons expert and the hope remains as strong as ever. The Marshall student Samantha Burns went missing in 2002. Chad Fultz and Brandon Basham were convicted of killing Burns and a South Carolina woman named Alice Donovan all after a multi-state crime spree. Folks and Brandon Basham have both pleaded guilty to Samantha's abduction and murder and are now sitting on death row in Indiana. It never goes away. You never stop thinking, what if, maybe the here, maybe there. It's just something that you always think about. This all started six years ago when Burns was kidnapped. One of her, the men charged with her death recently sent a map to the people organizing the search. So now family and friends are standing by and hoping for closure. Alice Donovan's family continues to wait for DNA results to come in on human bones that searchers found last month in Horry County. Donovan went missing in November of 2002 from the Conway Walmart. Her body was never recovered, but a federal jury sentenced Chadwick Folks and Brandon Basham to death for the kidnapping and murder back in 2004. Well, last month, search crews from the Q Center in Wilmington received a map and a letter from convicted Donovan killer Chadwick Folks. That map led searchers to a human skull and skeletal remains along Water Tower Road in the Wampi community. Authorities sent those bones to Columbia for DNA testing and comparison to Donovan's daughters, hoping to identify the remains. Investigators say the results from those tests should come in very soon. Now, two weeks ago, the Q Center received another map from folks of the area. The convicted killer says that he and Brandon Basham buried their first victim, West Virginia College student Samantha Burns. That letter kicks off a new search for Burns in northern West Virginia. Folks and Basham kidnapped Burns from a mall in Huntington, West Virginia, just days before Donovan disappeared. The pair pleaded guilty in 2004 to killing Burns. Tomorrow morning, the Q Center, armed with Folk's map, will set out to recover her remains. It's been nearly six and a half years since Samantha Burns went missing. News 13's Jody Barr received a letter from Chadwick Folk's just last week, and in that letter, Folk says that he tried to help authorities find Donovan and Burns' bodies for six years now. News 13's Jody Barr joins us live with the letter and Folk's reasons why he is reaching out. Well, Martha, I wrote Chadrick Falks a few weeks ago after the search in Ori counted ended for what searchers believe was, were the remains of Alice Donovan. I wanted to know what Falks' role in the killing was, why he's reaching out now, and what the death row inmate looks to gain from this. Chadrick Falks and Brendan Basham, both convicted of murders of two women whose bodies more than six years later 
have never been found. Folks sent Monica Kaysen of the Q Center for Missing Persons a map in January. A map, folks says, would lead Kaysen and her search team to Alice Donovan. In a three-page letter to News 13, Chad Falk says he sent the same exact map to authorities. But until Monica Kaysen, Falk writes, no one took him seriously. My efforts to assist in locating Ms. Donovan's and Ms. Burton's bodies have been ongoing for six years. Ms. Donovan's remains were discovered in the exact location where I've told law enforcement, news media, attorneys, and anyone else who would listen to look. I'm providing this assistance because it's the only thing I can do to give these family members some opportunity to provide a final resting place for Alice and Samantha. It has nothing to do with me having a death sentence. Folks claims he didn't kill Alice Donovan or Samantha Burns and never said who did, although he was there and had a role in the killings. Folks continues, yes, of course I have regrets over what happened to both Miss Donovan and Miss Burns. I would give anything if I could go back to that time and change it. I live with my involvement in the events which led to the deaths of Alice and Samantha. It haunts me every single day. I will go to my death knowing that I have never killed anybody, not Alice Donovan, not Samantha Burns. I understand that my actions contributed to their deaths, and I have always accepted responsibility for that. I will continue to do so, even if it requires me to be executed by lethal injection. And today, Alice Donovan's daughter, Angie Gilchrist, sat down with us to talk about the Falks letter. Gilchrist says she wants to watch her mother's convicted killer die for what he did. The reality that he no longer breathes the air that I breathe. I don't think he should be allowed to be fed three meals a day, have a bed to sleep in, and be able to breathe after what he did to my mother. Now, you can hear more from Alice Donovan's daughter, and we'll have more of Falk's letter tonight at 11. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. Our next installment of the series that we have entitled Missing Samantha Burns. I am your co-host, Annie Weebs, and along with me today is the amazing Shay Bay. What's up, Weebs? Oh, Shay. So the introduction to this show, we posted some audio from a local news media, and the reporter there was talking about a letter that he wrote to Chad Falks and the response that they got. And boy, oh boy, does that ring true with us today as well? Yeah, we uh, today are going to disclose the letters that were written between Weebs and Chad Falks uh, today. I mean, we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about what they look like, the description of it, the envelopes they came in, and what we think is going on with this guy. Uh, we kind of touched on it in one of the other episodes of what we think he has to gain from it, and today we will in detail disclose what was written thus far between Annie and Chad Folks. And so I think I should preface this episode by saying, I wrote this first letter to Chad Folks on a whim. I in no way, shape, or form expected any type of response back from him. And I have been absolutely shocked, saddened, and I, I hate to say a little scared and intimidated by the things that Chad Folks has written back to me. And I guess what I didn't sit and think uh, through before I started writing this letter was 
just how much time that someone on death row has on their hands. You know, why wouldn't he write back to anybody who has reached out to him? And so I think now putting it all into perspective, yeah, I would have done it all over again. But the responses that I received from Chad Folks completely changed the way that I feel about, number one, about Chad Folks himself. Number two, about the crimes that he and Brandon Basham committed. And number three, I guess, about what his motive is for writing all of these letters. So this is going to play out. I'm going to read the letters, the two letters that I wrote to Chad and Shay is going to read Chad's responses to me. So we're going to do a little role play here. And a little disclaimer, there's no way we're trying to glorify this guy. We're not trying to give him any more fame than he's already gotten from these despicable crimes that he committed. We've reached out to so many people, and in the 17 years, there's not a lot of people still willing to talk about this case. We reached out, like Andy said, on a whim to hear the killer's own words and what he had to say about this case. And he he responded. And it was reluctance that we wanted to share this, but it's part of the story. And I think it's important that people hear through this letter what this guy wants. We had no idea when we started this series that this is the way that things were going to play out. But when you're doing this little bit of investigative journalism, we want to approach it from all avenues, really. Like Shay says, we're not glorifying this bastard in any way, shape, or form. But this is how our story has played out during the course of recording this podcast. And so we feel like it's important for everyone to hear every aspect of what has happened during our investigation into this case. So Shay, if you're ready, I'm going to read the first letter that I wrote to Chad Folks that initiated this conversation. What follows is the narrative between Annie and Chad Folks. March 25th, 2009. Chad. My name is Annie. I am a native and resident of Huntington, West Virginia. I am a graduate of Marshall University I am a person who lived through the fear of a crime committed here in November 2002 when I was a college sophomore. Samantha Burns was my college mate. Her little brother played basketball against my little brother. I saw firsthand her parents going through the motions of life as I sat behind them on the bleachers. I saw her disappearance play out day after day on the local news. My father's business was affected some years back when he showed up to his office one morning to find it surrounded by police and unmarked cars, only to find out later that a tip led them there, looking for Samantha's remains. I will never, ever forget Samantha Burns. That is why I write to you now. My life has led me down a path of helping others through podcasting and social media. I have friends who lead national missing persons organizations attempting to bring home the remains of those previously lost to disappearance and murder. My goal is to help these families have one thing and one thing alone, closure. I want to be able to help these people whose lives have been ravaged by crime put their loved ones to rest. Chad, I do not want Samantha to be forgotten. Her family, the authorities who have searched for her, and our town deserve closure. Only you can provide that. I would like to speak with you. I would like to hear anything you have to say about that November night. 
But more than anything, I would like to help bring Samantha home where she belongs. Thank you, Chad, and I hope to hear from you soon. Sincerely, Annie Weibel. April 3rd, 2019. Miss Annie Weibel. Hello. I received your letter and request and wanted to reply. I'm sure this has been hard on you, and I apologize for that. I wish that I could go back in time and change it all, but I can't. So I've dedicated the last 17 years trying to help both the Burns and the Donovan families. I've been open and honest to all of their questions, even when everyone and everything was against me. I reached out against counsel's advice and even had attorneys quit over it. This has not been easy at all. Samantha or Alice should never be forgotten, but you wouldn't believe how many letters I have received just like yours, and each time it's the same old shit. As soon as something doesn't work out, I'm a liar and a disgrace, and again I end up sitting here shaking my head. So I have a few questions for you. And please be honest and upfront. Number one, why wait all these years to offer your help? Number two, if I agree to help you, will you work to prove I'm being honest or will you be working to prove me a liar? This is why I believe the search has failed. People only work to prove me wrong instead of giving me the benefit of doubt. I have no appeals left. I only await an execution date or suicide, so I don't do this to help myself. I only want to help the Burns family and my family as well. I'm sure you know that my uncle was married to Samantha's aunt, so it's hard on him as well. Number three, what would your course of action be in handling this case and recovery? Number four, what organizations do you work with? Who does the search and recovery? Although I am very grateful for Monica Carson of CUE, I do believe she hindered Samantha's recovery and am not willing to work with her any further. Number five, will you be taking orders from the Burns family? I know they only have the best of intentions, but their distrust and going off of what the government has told them only sets everyone up for failure. Number six, you say you would like to speak with me, so how and what way would we communicate? Because these letters take too much time in between. Number seven, I'd ask that you keep our communication between us until the recovery is made. Can you agree to these things? Number eight, I have my case file here with me and I've also kept files on all the searches, calls, contacts, pictures, and all of course a 3D map I made on how to exactly find Samantha. I've also written an unpublished book on the case and had everything happen. This is the real truth from myself, someone who was there, unlike the government, who only cared about getting a death sentence. So they lied, cheated, and done whatever it took. I don't sugarcoat anything either. If I'd done that, then I admitted to it. Number nine, you must have this in order to go and recover Samantha. These files have been my life for the past 17 years. So you gotta agree to cover the cost of copying and mailing them to you. I cannot afford to copy and mail these. It is $518.65 to copy and mail you everything. If you are serious about doing this, 
then you gotta have these boxes in front of you. You gotta Western Union the money to me. Federal Bureau of Prisons, Chad Falks, 16617-074. This must be done ASAP. Are you serious about this, Annie? If so, then take care of your end, and I'll take care of mine. Please always be truthful with me. Send your info to me, phone number, and email, and enclosed is a visitation form. I'll await your response, and check my Western Union account on April 10th, 2019, because the first thing is getting this copied and mailed to you. Always an honor, Chad, T.S., FL. Imagine my shock and dismay and anger when I receive this four-page response to what I asked him before. Number one, obviously, I did not have these letters mailed to my home. I had them mailed to a safe location, so he does not have my home address. I, in sitting there and reading these, it's hard to even describe the emotion as I open this letter and my hands are shaking and having no idea what to expect. And on the very top of this four-page letter is a visitation form to come visit Chad in the federal pen in Terre Haute, Indiana. They basically want all of your information, your social security number, asking if you've ever been committed uh, of a crime or, you know, anything like that. And then the letter itself. And he starts off almost like he's apologizing to me for the crimes that he's committed, for the hurt that he's caused people. And then almost on a dime, he flips a switch and turns into, I guess, what I expected of a convicted murderer on death row, which is someone who is trying to get a way out. And so he sends me all of this information about receiving these case files and maps that he's drawn and asking me questions like I'm the criminal. I got to tell you, by the end of that letter, I was so pissed that I threw it down and said, I'm done. I'm done with this. I don't have any reason to talk to this murderer anymore because he's obviously trying to play people. And so imagine this. Imagine what went through my brain is that if he is so bold to ask me for money. To, an exact amount in of an money. an exact amount, exact amount, how much it is going to cost to copy and Western Union all of this shit to me. What did I say to you, Shay? If he's telling me this, he's done this to other people before, and I believe people have sent him money. What a set of steel balls on this dude sitting on death row and talking about an unpublished book. Shay, describe to the listeners what this letter looks like, the handwriting, the the language. I mean, first impression when you saw it and you read it, what did you think of? When you first look at this letter, the envelope, you know, it, it, it obviously came from, he's got his own stamp or his own return address with his name on it, um, his prisoner ID number, obviously, uh, where it came from. But the handwriting, 
The handwriting is what gets me because it looks like a female's handwriting. Okay, it's in cursive. It looks like a female's handwriting. But the thing that that, that I don't understand is I don't know how it works in federal prison. I don't understand if like they basically dictate the letter and somebody writes it down. But you would think that as they're writing it down, because it's hard to read some of the stuff you can hear that, you know, you can hear some of the stuff he says. And it's almost like if somebody was transcribing this, why would they write it down exactly how he said it? Why wouldn't they just like, you know, transfer, you know, correct, proper English? Like, let me, let me, let me, for an example, let me, um, let me find a sentence here. So there's a line in here. He says, if I done it. So that's why the, the transcription of it, like you would think that somebody would put like, if I had committed this crime or like, you know, properly put it in there. So I don't really know if he wrote this, if this is his handwriting or not, because I would think maybe somebody's recopying the letter exactly word for word because he writes the letter and then it goes through, you know, they have to turn it in to make sure there's nothing that's, you know, like not, they don't want to be sent out to the public to know, or, you know, he's giving away information or without law enforcement knowing firsthand. And maybe it was just written word for word what he said. I don't I don't know or how it works. But it really kind of bothers me because he does. He starts out very nonchalant, very, I'm sorry, like you said, apologetic. And he does flip a switch. He then turns into himself. Okay, it's all, the letter is very cut and dry. Like, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. You know, I really want to help. I'm really into this. This has been my life's work. And then when I start asking for something, that's when it turns. That's when it turns to how you can tell that it's his personality coming through right then and there. So it starts out as bullshit, and then it comes through as like, this is who he really is. And as you said, as I read this, I did get pissed off too, because I'm like, this guy is exact. And in, in my mind, when, when I first got this, I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, all right, well, we'll scrap together $518 just to get this guy's case file. But then I'm like, but what what does he have that's not on public record? What does he have? It's just a matter of this guy's cell could get searched any day and they can take all this stuff from him and it can become public. So what does he have? You know what I mean? The only thing that he has that we want is the closure for this family. And if he, if he really honestly wants to clear this from his conscience, then he just needs to say that. He's not working with anybody. Somebody pisses him off and he says, oh, fuck that lady. I'm not working with her anymore. She didn't do exactly what I said. Or the government's just looking for a death sentence. Yeah, to an extent, that's right. The government looked to convict you on whatever they can get you on. But they are still putting out the effort. They are still putting out the time to try to find this woman's remains. And you know where she is. So quit being an asshole and just just say it. You know what I mean? Just say it. No one's sending you money. You don't need money. You're in federal prison. You're on death row. What do you need money for? The name that he mentions in there... Monica, I'm not going to put her last name on here. Um, You said it earlier, but it's actually something different. I think you read it as one thing, but it's actually something else because the handwriting is hard to read. Monica is someone that I reached out to that helped in the search of Alice Donovan in South Carolina and helped find her remains. I reached out to her on a couple of occasions And she didn't seem interested in talking about this case. And Chad made it very clear that if I was working with this person or this organization that they work for, that he didn't want to talk to me. And so I don't know what has played out on that end. He's probably filled a lot of people there full of bullshit. And he's trying to keep me from talking to these people and saying he doesn't know anything. So uh, that was something that interested me because when I received this letter, I had already reached out to her. 
Something else that I don't understand about both of these letters are the four letters that he puts after his name, T-S-F-L. I have no idea what that means. Those are not his initials. I've looked it up online to see if that's something that, like if someone had transcribed this letter for him, would those be, would that be an indicator that this letter was transcribed by someone else? I have no idea, but he signs both of those letters with his name and then the initials T-S-F-L. Yeah, I I almost thought maybe it was like Terre Haute State Federal Institution, like the L was wrong, but I, I don't I don't know either. I mean, I Googled it as well. I don't know. I don't know what it means. If anybody knows what that means, please, by all means, you know somebody who was in federal prison and maybe it was signed the same way, please let us know because we don't, we have no clue. I've Googled it, but I've never been able to find it. So that letter was written on April 10th. I believe it said it was postmarked. This letter was written April 3rd, 2019. Okay, so I... But before we go on, though, I want to see one more thing that's in here that I find very odd is that he says he's keeping all the conversation between him and you. It's That struck me as odd, too. Like, if he honestly wants this case, if he wants it off his chest, why? Why why is he wanting to keep it between you? Because he's afraid his attorneys are going to get involved. He said right here in this letter, I've gone against counsel's advice and reached out to many people, and I've had attorneys quit over it. Why does it need to be a secret? Why did We're putting it out here right now on this podcast that we contacted you, Chad Falks. Why do you want this to be a secret? And that struck me as odd as well. Obviously, it's never been a secret before because the audio clip that you heard before we started the show was a a detailed letter that he wrote to a news outlet there, and they published the letter on their newscast. So he's never been secretive about writing people before. What I imagine after receiving these letters is that he probably has a notebook in his cell with the names and addresses of every person who's ever written him a letter And he just randomly reaches out to them to see if, I guess, they'll send money or come visit him or whatever the hell else he has to think about doing while his time plays out there on death row. Yeah, it's very odd. And, you know, I want your phone number. I want your address. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. If you have something to offer, you know what I mean? You just get it off your chest and get it over with. The first letter that I wrote to him, I wrote on March 25th and mailed it out within a day or two of writing it. His response was written and postmarked to me on April 3rd. I did not respond to that first letter. I was still processing. I was still trying to decide how I wanted to approach the situation if I wanted to do anything with it. I had people reach out to me and tell me that what I was doing was dangerous that it was stupid, that I was stepping into something that I didn't need to be involved in. Someone actually said to me, we know Samantha's dead. We know they killed her. What are you trying to prove by writing these letters? And my answer to that was, if Chad really knows where she is and he's willing to talk to anybody, this is like a last-ditch effort in trying to find her remains. And if he's serious, if he is sincere about finding her then just maybe he will give us some bit of information that we can take to authorities. So I didn't write him back after that first one. And to my surprise, within a couple of weeks, I received a second letter from him. April 15, 2019. Annie, hello. I wanted to write and let you know how disappointed I am. 
This is just like everyone else who wrote me just like you and then back out when I tell you that you gotta have these files, maps, and directions in order to find Samantha. You say you care for her and want her family to have her remains, but your actions say other words. So I'll not waste any more of your time, and Basham couldn't find his ass if he needed to, so it's a waste of time with him. He doesn't want her found, so he will lead you on a goose chase. This is my last time offering my help to bring Samantha home. My life is almost over, so it is, it is what it is. You gotta have these files. Always an honor, Chad, T-S-F-L. P.S. The two unpublished books I've wrote are included in this. Oh boy. So 12 days after I received the first letter, I received that after I didn't respond to his first letter to hear about how this convicted murderer is so disappointed in my actions. To say that I was angry at this point is a complete and total understatement. This second letter shows how manipulative this guy really is. I'm so disappointed in you. You don't really care for her like you said you did. You've got to have these files. Oh, by the way, I wrote a couple of books. I'll throw those in there as well. What the? I, I, I don't even know how to describe how I felt at that point other than angry and amused. In the interview with Matt Rawlings, his former attorney, Matt told us he, that it was very apparent that Chad was a thief. What was the line he said? Matt said the first time he met Chad, he had a discussion with him. And Chad told him that everything that he did was because his parents raised him to be a thief. And Matt said, Chad, would you steal the shoes off my feet if I gave you the opportunity? And Chad, in a total stone-faced, cold response, just said, yeah, I probably would. This letter was proof to me that he's nothing more than a thief and a manipulator, and that people have probably sent him money before, people who were desperate to help, maybe her friends, maybe her family members. I don't know, but I was pissed. I'm still pissed about it because you reach out to someone, I guess, with the best of intentions, forgetting that you're talking to a convicted murderer. And I get that, and I'm just, I'm even more angry than I had been before. And this letter also proves that he has nothing else to do but stew on this. And he didn't respond to his letter. And this letter was, you know, written pretty close to when she received the first letter. And he obviously went and checked his Western Union account like he had done many times before after receiving a letter, finding that someone sent him money. But went this time and Annie did not send him the money that he wanted. So... This angered him in a way that he's like, oh, well, I didn't swindle somebody out of $518.36, an exact amount of money. Maybe he does know how much it costs to send all this stuff. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the federal what the federal cost is for sending a file to somebody, but I can guarantee you it's not $518.36. 
So my response to that was, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a cold hearted person that he doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He, he has an execution pending, you know, he doesn't have a date, but he, it's coming. And that's what I can't fathom about somebody who honestly, when you get down to it, you have guys like Ted Bundy who still kept so many things hidden until they knew their end was near. And then he started disclosing all this other information. And it just boggles my mind that they think they still have this control. And it's sad. It's really sad. And I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done writing letters. I waited a few days trying to decide if I even wanted to respond to him at all. My first initial reaction was, no, I'm done with this dude. I have nothing left to say. And then something changed. I I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I got angry for Samantha all over again. I got angry for her family. I got angry for Alice Donovan and her family. And so I did write Chad back within a few days after that April 15th letter. And my last response to him was, Chad, I have received both of your letters and appreciate your responses. I do, in fact, care about the case and hope that someday Samantha will be returned to her family. However, I cannot send money. I am not an attorney, so having case files would not be beneficial under these circumstances. I have been in touch with an attorney who was involved in the case and have discussed details with him in depth. My hope in writing to you was that if you truly wanted Samantha's family to have closure, you would let someone know that you would be willing to speak with authorities. I would have no use for maps or books personally, as I would just forward them to the appropriate authorities. My hope in writing to you was that my letter would act as a catalyst for you to speak with authorities for one last attempt at finding Samantha. As you have stated in your last letter, quote, my life is almost over. If this is the case and you know where Samantha really is, then you truly are running out of time to make peace with the family, with yourself, and with whatever awaits you. The choice is yours. This will be my last letter. I hope that you decide to speak with authorities. Sincerely, Annie. That's a pretty powerful closer because it is. It's about making peace. Some people just don't want to make peace. They just want they just want what they want. I think he's grasping at straws to maximize the time that he has left, whether he is able to use this money for something else in prison, whether he forwards it to another account that benefits his family in some form. I have no idea. I don't know how the federal prison system works when you're on death row, but I have no feelings of remorse for writing him. I don't know that he'll write again. And if he does, then we will continue this discussion when he does. But he's a desperate man looking for maybe one last stay of execution. That's my only my only thought after this. And he writes in that letter that this is his last attempt at helping, you know, with this case. But he's got nothing. He's got nothing but time, we think. And as much as we go about our daily lives and life moves on, this guy sits in a, in a cell probably for 23 hours out of the 24-hour day. And he's got a lot of time to sit and think. So if this ever reaches anybody who knows him, you know, he, he has a duty now to tell this family where their daughter is. And he knows. And I hope he does. It could be a Ted Bundy thing. You know, like you said before, Ted Bundy waited until 
He was literally days before execution. He knew that he had no appeals left, no stays of execution left. And he reached out to his spiritual advisor and made deathbed confessions, basically. I really feel that's how this case will be. I do think that Chad knows where she is. I do think that he is attempting to manipulate people for whatever reason that he thinks will benefit him. But I feel like if Samantha is not found, then maybe as they walk Chad down that green mile on his way to execution, I feel like he will really tell somebody where Samantha is. And I hope it's the truth. Once again, thank you for listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Check us out weekly on Paranormal Warehouse at paranormalwarehouse.com, on iTunes at Serial Spirits, and on SoundCloud. Please rate and review the show. Follow us on all your social media apps, Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits, and on Instagram. Until next time, be aware and be safe.